up, Internet? I woke up and pee this morning. My name is Matthew Kroll. And listen, you little pygmy, my name is Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the 1994 Spike Lee joint, Crooklyn. And this is the first Spike Lee movie we've done. I this. know. We talked a little bit about Spike Lee on the uh, Can Batman Be Black episode, Right, right. Um, as a movie that was seminal to me. Yes. Uh, uh, would do the right thing was seminal to me, and Malcolm X was uh, seminal as well. How about you? Any seminal, seminal, seminal films for you? Uh, whoa, so many seminals. You know what? Uh, no, honestly, uh, I I uh, only found Spike Lee's stuff later in my life. Yeah. Uh, so nothing has sort of um, uh, uh, changed. I, I, I enjoy them overall, uh, but they are not something that I've sort of, I mean... Uh, I I mean Spike Lee's not making them for for me I don't think <laughs> which is you know I I, I that's great uh, I enjoy them I just uh, I I never seek them out until uh, probably I want to say maybe like seven or eight years ago okay seven uh, eight years ago I'm doing the math of your age here yeah uh, okay all right yeah uh, it just it just but, never but hit did my it, did any of them did any Spike Lee film like do the right thing Malcolm X Jungle I mean Fever. Malcolm X is a given yeah. uh, Jungle Fever I enjoyed. Uh, again, they're 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 over overall his filmography for me at least the ones that I've seen because by far I have not seen all of them. Uh, the they have always been um like competent and good and like I enjoy the film like the watching of the film experience. Uh, and I try to take to heart what I believe he's sort of trying to say in each one. Um. But it's they're never films that like I go back to if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Uh, and again, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it, it was funny. So I was watching when we were watching Crooklyn, and we were doing it. Why Why are we doing this film again, Sheer? So New York City decided to have a one film, one New York event, and that uh, we talked about this a few episodes ago, where uh, New Yorkers were trying to get together, just like they had with a book review, uh, with a book club, uh, but a have, whole city, but uh, but a whole city. Well, no, no, you know, a whole city with the book club as well um, to watch one film, and the vote was put out uh, that you could have uh, that there was a vote for one of these five films and they were uh, On the Town directed by Gene Kelly and Stanley Doonan New York, New York directed by Martin Scorsese Desperately Seeking Susan directed by Susan Sadelman or The Wedding Banquet directed by Ang Lee or finally Crooklyn directed by Spike Lee and the votes were taken Crooklyn won out as the film of the night and uh, at at a whole bunch of movie theaters uh, in New York you could go and watch Crooklyn for free. I I wonder Matt uh, very quickly you and I both would call ourselves New Yorkers at this point? I guess. It's I guess. weird to be, you know what? I would. I mean, look, I uh I've been here over 11 years. Yeah. Uh I though I don't I don't I don't know. I I just I don't consider myself a New York. I f- I feel like almost like you have to be born here. Right, you got to get the the New York. Yeah. New York. I I mean, I I I definitely live in New York. Yeah. Uh I don't know if I'm a New Yorker. I mean, I, I, I think I can, I think I can pass. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I can, um, and I can, you can give the New York shade if you need to. And I can also like sort of, uh, you know, thrive and survive, uh, it, the way, the way the sort of city works, I've learned the ins and outs of it. But again, I don't know if I can wear that badge. You know what my metric is for, if you're a real New Yorker, what you can order your bagel at a deli without pissing off the deli owner. 
Like, because if you ever see a tourist ordering a, a oh bagel God. at a deli oh and they're God. like, oh, you know, like, uh, what kind of cream cheese is it? If you can just walk up to a deli counter and be like, toasted whole wheat sour cream. There was a dude, there was a dude at a street meat cart today. Uh, shout out to Rafiki's, the most delicious street meat on in the history of New York City, in my opinion. Uh, but I was waiting in a Rafiki's cart today for lunch. And uh, when someone doesn't know what they're doing in New York, oh you know. Oh, my right? God. Yeah. I want and I was literally like, and I, you know what? Maybe I did. Maybe I. I'm a New Yorker now because yeah. me and the both the dudes in the truck were looking like at each other like can you believe this fuck? like <laughs> what is this fu- happening who is this fucking guy arguing what a gyro was <laughs> I was like you're, you're gonna argue with the dudes who <laughs> make these every day what a gyro whatever the reason uh, I bring it up yeah. is that New York is obviously uh, uh, a unique cinematic landscape unique that is New York <laughs> unique New York unique New York it's a vocal exercise <laughs> um, that has been often filmed uh, is iconic in many movies I would I'm curious what you think is quintessential New York cinema. If people are coming to New York, uh, if you know, like when you go to when you go to any country, you I, I often like look for the cinema of that country. Oh, you New treat York, New York like a country. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you go to any city, if you go to any famous location in the world, and I think New York is one of the most famous locations on the planet. Right. What are what, what to you is quintessential New York? I, and I I feel like I know them. I, I have a guess what the answer might be. I mean, mine is Escape from New York. Oh, Escape from New York. Actually, that wasn't my answer. It wasn't my answer. But that's Why, good what's yours? Well, my answer for you would have been Spider Man. Yeah, I mean that's that's a that's the Sam Raimi Spider Man. Yeah, yeah, Sam Raimi Spider Man would have been good. Uh, and, and I think Spider Man as a character is quintessential New York. So I think the interesting thing is, um, so so Escape from New York. I feel like from what I understand from New York's history. Uh, it, I know it's obviously never became a maximum security prison walled off, protected by the United States police force like an army, but give it time. We're almost to the end times. Uh, the <laughs> If anyone can get us to John Carpenter's future, it's Donald Trump. Uh, but the uh, sort of the, the feeling of New York, even though it was a maximum security prison in that film, uh, it definitely was like back when New York was not, because that movie was made in 81. And that... Uh, it, it definitely that was uh, during some dark times in New York City, depending on uh, which parts of the city you were in. Uh, Do you know it wasn't filmed in New York? No, it wasn't. I'm yeah, saying no, I'm saying it was no. representative. I'm not okay. saying there wasn't filmed in New York. No, it was okay. filmed. actually, I thought, I thought you were about to say like you know you were going to get to start talking about how like it it, it reflected New York of a. Well, of here, a here's the deal. Yeah. It, it, it did a very good for not being filmed there. It did a very good job, sort of giving the the ha, the if not the feeling of New York, what the entire world thought New York was <laughs> a post-apocalyptic right. wasteland. Yeah, in a weird way. And then the, the, the Spider-Man films in in conjunction uh, in the uh, 2000, 2001, or whatever it was. Uh, uh, it really, um, or maybe it was 2002, I don't remember, but it really gave that sort of like hopeful New York thing back, even down to like, you know, it's kind of cheesy and campy, but when like the New Yorkers were throwing all the shit at the Green Goblin, like, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I've, I've uh, those for, are two very different sides of the quintessential. I, I w- what about I w- you? I would, well, I would say those two sides are defined by two different mayors, you know, like the Id Coach uh, yeah. period of New yeah. York and then the Rudolph Giuliani period of New York. Um, I, look, New York, because I watch New York as an outsider, so I go to the, like the classic sort of Manhattan, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, obviously, uh, 
do the right thing. Um, Dog Day Afternoon, mm. you know, the classic sort of New York, New York. And I think there's a, the, there is a tendency to romanticize the, the, that period of New York's era where it was like, it was, you know, like tough guys walking the streets, you know, like, and, and, you know, you could be beaten up on any corner kind of thing, but that was the, the allure of New York, the, the danger of it all. And I, I gotta be honest with you. I, I wouldn't want to live in that period. No. I, I like the New York that I live in now where it's pretty safe the subways are safe at night, um, you know, um, and 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 I can order my bagel pretty quickly at any deli, um, fairly efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that in the New York one film uh, event, Crooklyn was the the film that was chosen mm-hmm. uh, out of. I think you know, like again, I think if if Raging Bull uh, was selected, uh, if Goodfellas, uh, you know, Goodfellas is sort of more of a New Jersey movie, um, but it, you know, uh, was was part of that, or even Manhattan, you might see more of a romanticism for those kinds of films. But I think I think the reason why this film was chosen is it is it harkens to a very sp- very unique New Yorkness about it. And, and it is that romanticized period. It's set in 1974. It's Spike Lee, who's one of, you know, the great New York filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it makes sense to me, even though I'm going to say this now, this is not my favorite Spike Lee movie. <laughs> no, it is not my favorite either. Uh, I think I, well, actually I'd never seen it before. Right. Uh, before this. And, uh, you know, I guess if we're sort of getting into initial, initial thoughts of the film, uh, I, Overall, I feel like I dug it. Uh, it definitely the I I'm a sucker for any sort of period piece that like makes me feel like I'm there. Okay, and this definitely does that for a small slice of New York City in the seventies. Right, even though the movie was made in ninety four. Um, I I also really like how I was doing, reading some articles about it. How it's loosely sort of based on Lee's family, but not like you know no, it's not, not like a biopic. It's just yeah. like it's sort of like t- touching I love the way down you that. say biopic. Yeah. It makes it sound like a medical term. It is. Oh, it is a medical term. <laughs> um, you know, it had. So th- now this is a sort of. Um, tell, oh. tell me. Tell me what it's about. Oh, here's the IMDb thing. You yeah. ready? Here we go. Okay. M. Spike Lee's vibrant semi autobiographical portrait of a school teacher, her stubborn jazz musician husband and their five kids living in Brooklyn in 1973. 1973. Uh, that's not really what it's. Uh, no, no, that is that 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 that's true. Uh, yeah, it's accurate. But, but then I feel like it's accurate for the first half, maybe first third of the film. And then it's definitely about Troy, the daughter. Yeah. Uh, well, which, I think she becomes the prism, but with which we yes. view the film through. Um, but th- those aren't false statements. No, they're, they're true statements. Uh, the thing about it is, uh, you know, the, and the characters are all wonderful. I feel like in this, uh, film, uh, and actually some of the cinematography, some of the sweeping shots, especially going back to sort of appreciating a time period of a place like the outsides of New York when they're, especially in the beginning of the film, yeah. uh, just going through and like sort of seeing all the activity that's going on in Bed-Stuy at the time, yeah. uh, is, is really cool. And, um, and just evocative of like, it makes you feel like you're in the space. Uh, however, the movie, I feel like kind of goes a little bit all over the place mm-hmm. in an odd way and not not in a uh, it's not in a like all over the place chronologically or all over the place sort of like where characters actually are. It just feels like this is how I equated it. And I, I, I think I nailed it down and it's not necessarily good, but it's not necessarily bad. It's 
the the snippets of story that you get of this time period in this family's life and particularly Troy's life uh, feels very childlike. Mm-hmm. It feels like the way I remember childhood memories. Like, you know, some scenes seem like they should be really short, but they're really long. Other ones are really long. That seem like they should be short. They jump around. They don't always resolve mm-hmm. things that are in them, etc. cetera. Um, and so I think that I, I, because Spike Lee is such a sort of masterful filmmaker, I feel like there definitely might be something sort of uh, that might've been a forethought about it, about why the pacing of this movie is structured the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if if it wasn't a Spike Lee movie, I would say some of it feels sloppy, but because it's a Spike Lee movie, I feel like there has to be some reasoning behind it. Uh, (laughs) And then the last thing I'll say, um, this movie uh, suffered from something that we've been complaining about, uh, a lot in a lot of other films in the past couple of years. And that is overuse and over-reliance on soundtrack. Yeah. There are 37 songs in this movie, like yeah. not score songs. Yeah. And a lot of times they just played nearly the whole song underneath a scene happening, including dialogue. Yeah. And it's not good. Yeah. Uh, it takes away from what's going on and it's distracting. Um, now I get it. I get excited about music, using music all the time too. Uh, but that was something that every time it happened in something like that, uh, it felt like it derailed it a little bit for me. Okay. What about you? So, uh, you know, like, uh, for the past few weeks, I've been kind of like recounting director histories. I don't want to go through all of Spike Lee because it's, it's long, uh, you know, and, and there's so much work here. He's, he's definitely a filmmaker I'm very passionate about, but I have to admit, of recent years, I've been less and less interested in his work. Uh, I think the most notable things he's done recently are um, his documentary work, including um, uh, When the Levees Broke, uh, which was like an yes. eight-hour yep. documentary about New Orleans. Um, uh, his actual film work, you know, films like Chirac, really, I, I tried watching it. I really did. And this is a filmmaker I love, filmmaker I, I grew up watching. I, I would say Do the Right Thing was one of those quintessential films for me growing up. I watched that film so many times. Um, but, but he's a filmmaker that hasn't really, um, kept my interest up and and I'm not sure what that is. Uh, I, can I, can I get, can I make a guess? Okay. And this sort of opens up a topic to a little bit of a wider range, but, okay. Uh, let's talk real quick about aging directors. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I don't necessarily mean, I, I almost don't necessarily mean like the age that they are, but just directors that have made so much work, especially like prolific ones, Spike Lee, Steven Spielberg, Scorsese, like, you know, however you want to do it. Um, there seems to be always, and this is, I feel like with anyone's real body of work, sort of anywhere, like no one can keep making hits forever. And, and, and by hits, I mean, I'm not talking about just box office success. I'm talking about beloved things or whatever, or, or as widely beloved as like certain, th- like, like Spielberg's not making Jurassic Park anymore. No, but I think he's doing interesting work. And I think he's Scorsese doing, is inter- doing yeah, interesting work. A hundred percent. They're all doing interesting work and it's all master masterfully crafted, but you don't get that same, like, I just wouldn't even Spielberg, whose breath of work is insane. If you just took the last 10 years. I'd just be like, I mean, these are good, 
Like yeah. I, I'm not wowed every, by them. Every, everyone, everyone has a period. I mean, Quentin Tarantino has this conversation. Same thing. Yeah, well, he no, he himself talks about specifically. He thinks that filmmakers should really only they should there's there should be a certain point at which they they should stop. And he he himself is is trying to be true to that word and is, and is only going to make three more films. And then he says he's going to quit filmmaking for good because he doesn't. And I think the the filmmaker he really quotes there is Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. as not having uh, the the last three or four movies he made being great. I I think with with uh, 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 Spike Lee, uh, something slightly different is going on, which okay. is the the thing that I've always uh, oddly uh, found difficult to swallow about Spike Lee is that you know, like, why does why is it that Spike Lee, this guy who's made so many definitive, classic, important movies, still struggles to get funding for movies, even to the point where he's crowdsourcing, you know, funding. He's he's on Kickstarter to get money for movies now. Mm-hmm. He he entirely kickstarted a movie, uh, The Sweet Blood of Jesus. Um, and and it, and I think there there is uh, it seems like and the the film I'll point to here and to to sort of back this up is is his adaptation of Old Boy, which was an American re- oh, yeah. remake of Old Boy, which wasn't very good. Um, you know, again, why remake it, Old Boy? But but I the reason I think he would make Old Boy is he was probably offered it at some point. Like you got to remember, Old Boy was kicking around for a while as a remake with Steven Spielberg attached even at one point, um, and Will Smith of all people. And I think it was like, oh, here's a opportunity. I'm an experienced filmmaker. I can make some money here and then do some other projects that I think are interesting. And I think projects like Chirac are actually speaking to what Spike Lee wants to do. He wants to make provocative films. Um, but, but I think he, you know, he's a filmmaker from a different period, still, you know, caught up in this new era. And, and it's, it's amazing to me that he's not kind of, as easily funded as someone like Martin Scorsese or Steven Spielberg. Like he's not having the twilight of his career that those people are. And he's not an older, he's not an old guy, by the way. Um, so, you know, he's not as old as, as Spielberg or, um, or no, Scorsese. I just meant, I meant sort of like as your filmography grows, yeah, of course. how many hits or I, I keep using the word hits, but yeah. like how many, how many, how many film, how many great films can you make? Sure. Uh, regardless, uh, the, the amount of great films he has made, yeah. you know, w- means that he should be able to make whatever he wants to make now. hundred uh, percent. Well, that's, I mean, that sort of goes into a little bit, even with Scorsese with, with silence. It's, yeah. it's a movie that I personally didn't enjoy, but I can see the, the craftsmanship and the, and the sort of amazing care that was given and how personal of a story it was for him, how much mm-hmm. it's felt like he really wanted to, to make that story. And he's earned that right. Spike Lee, hundred percent has also earned the right to to make any film he wants whenever he wants. It just, you're, I a hundred percent agree with the funding thing. I mean, that's bullshit. It's, it's crazy that he, he struggles to get funding. I mean, maybe he's uh, he's just recently done uh, uh, a TV adaptation of his own film. She's got to have it, which is coming to Netflix soon. Maybe, you know, working in long format, he'll find, you know, he'll be revitalized right. in some way. Um, that said, uh, this early period of, Spi- of Spike Lee, where Crooklyn does appear, is actually my favorite period of Spike Lee. It, it, it's, it includes, of, co- of course, the quintessential do the right thing, which is every you know person who's interested in film, cinema, New York history, mm-hmm. whatever, should stop what they're doing and watch right now. Mm-hmm. Malcolm X is amazing. Uh, I There was another movie that came out exactly the same period of, as Crooklyn, uh, a film called Clockers, which is an adaptation of a Richard Price book. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. I absolutely love that, mil- I that film. I remember liking Clockers. 
Knickerbocker. Yeah, M- M- uh, McKee Pfeiffer is in it. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's and he's fantastic. Uh, John Turturro, great soundtrack uh, and a really meaningful film. I there's a you know like he even went through like a little bit of a weird period where he did a film like Girl Six, which is about uh, a phone six operator, and that film is really really underrated. It's, okay. it's, a fa- it's a fantastic film. Get on the Bus is terrific. But mm. I think he gets into this period where he's like having to make smaller films like Get on the Bus. He got game. Masterful film. I absolutely adore that movie. I think to me that might be the last great Stephen uh, Spike Lee film, even though people, a lot of people have a lot of love for 25th Hour and Inside Man. Mm. Um, but, but, but I think that is the last, you know, clear masterpiece of Spike I got Lee's you. career. At any rate, Crooklyn is an interesting one in that whole period, which is that, like you say, it's his most personal. Yeah, but it's also as as you kind of alluded to in your in your in your initial comments, it's also his loosest. And I don't know if it's loosest because he's working with child actors, and you know, like it's much more vignette based, and it's much more of evoking uh, a certain feeling. A lot of people do love this movie because it's it's very much of a time and of a place, and it's very much it very much puts you there. And and I really did love that feel of it. However, I wasn't you know as enamored by the story, but I certainly there were moments of this movie that really, really resonated for me, even though I actually don't think the movie um does a does a superb does a great job of like making those moments resonate. They did they resonate because because the film just kind of I just enjoyed being in this movie. That's kind of what I was saying. You yeah. Know, I just liked being in this world. I was on uh Ivan Kanda's uh podcast a few weeks ago uh reviewing a film What's called up, Ivan? uh called George Washington, uh David Gordon Green's film. And that's a similar, you know, it's a it's a film set in uh I believe Alabama or Tennessee. Um but it's about these four kids, you know, in their summer days and it's very dreamy and languid and there's a there's a sense to it where um you know like Ivan and I spoke on that podcast about how we just loved being in that world and even though the narrative is very very slight there's this dreamy quality that makes up for it that makes you feel immersed in that world and it makes up for the for the lack of like narrative through line in this case i think spike you know spike's film here is a little bit more you know the scenes are structured in a much more uh traditional narrative sense like we we know you know the, these are actors playing and there's not this sort of dreamy camera work or anything like that it, it just feels much more direct in terms of what it's trying to do and i don't i'm not as compelled but i do think the kids in this film are amazing i think they're really right really he really captures the sense of this family and i love i love how the first half of this movie captures the chaos of this family mm-hmm. uh really well with alfrey alfrey wooded at the at the helm who's a vampire by the way yeah. Is she? she well she looks exactly the same today oh really uh yeah. it's insane uh, i haven't actually seen what she was been... in luke cage oh was she yeah um uh and alfie oh, wooded yeah holy <laughs> sh- I, I, Has, I it's in it's uncanny. she's also in civil war yeah um the person i love is delroy lindo and i think it's a crime that delroy lindo isn't in more movies yeah he i is, agree he is, uh, he, he is a national treasure, I think. He's, uh, you know, masterful in this film. He was masterful in Malcolm X. He's masterful in Get Shorty. Uh, everything he's in, he carries a weight, a presence to him that is, is it just, it, you can't take your eyes off this guy. And the warmth uh, at which he plays the, the, the patriarch of this family Woody. is just so... 
there's, there's such a delightfulness to seeing him on the film, even when he is clearly the, not the villain necessarily and not the antagonist of the film, but he's kind of the bad guy in this movie. Well, he's no, no. kind of, he's kind of at this point in the relationship between Car- Carolyn and, yeah. uh, and him himself. Uh, he's the sixth kid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that can be frustrating for anybody in a, in a relationship, especially one that's supporting five other people. I mean, and he's, and he's the sixth kid in that he's stubborn about this, like uh, about being, uh, true to his roots as a musician, even while his family can't afford to keep the power on. And it's, and it's a, it's a tricky one. Cause I, I, I believe him, but at the same time, there's a point at which you're going, if you're bouncing chicks, you, and you have five kids, you might need to grow up a little bit. Oh, well, there's, uh, I mean, there's a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is the end of this film kind of forces him into that position, but I don't think it like forces him hard into that position it's not really about his transformation or anything like that no well that yeah that's the other thing uh this film doesn't at least the time period that it sort of takes place in doesn't really have a lot of character transitions with maybe the exception of troy yeah uh and she and and her character transition is just ever so brief near the end. And I'm not even sure if it actually hit. I don't know if that's the point. Yeah. That's the thing on the other side of this. I was like, I'm, I'm, I kind of like this sort of just loose vignette of a movie, you know, like it's not really because, because each scene is interesting and lived in and feels good. I'm not as kind of, you know, uh, afraid of that. Uh, you know, if that makes sense, you know, like, uh, it, it doesn't really bother me as much. There's certain moments of this movie that are just pure fucking magic. Uh, there's a moment where Delroy, uh, Woody is, is talking to Zelda Harris, Troy, uh, on the steps after Woody had gotten kicked out, um, for a weird fight that felt very strange. Um, uh, and he came and he brought the kids little presents or candy or whatever. And he brought, um, the mother, uh, flower and he was sitting on the stoop with his daughter, uh, with the, you know, with Troy. And it felt so just beautiful and natural. And like this conversation, a father and a daughter were having like it, that, that moment was like the first moment where I was like, Oh my God, like, <laughs> like the, the, this beyond just sort of the set dressing of New York feeling like a real place. Like these characters feel like real, like a real moment in these people's lives. I'll even go farther than character and say people's lives. Yeah. Um, now that's not the, the, the norm of this film. I think it does a fine job showing, like you said, the chaos of the family. Yeah. But it, I feel like sometimes it borders into caricature. Okay. Um, because, and, and, and I don't think I'd even notice that if it weren't for these striking scenes, I'll get into more as we sort of go through. Um, and they're minimal scenes that normally are the ones that got me in this, but like, yeah. they just felt so good. It, it felt a lot like a, an Eric Romare film, the French filmmaker who did a summer's tale. They're very slight movies. You know, we're just, you're kind of just jumping in at this little moment in time, a little transition happens and then you're out again. And the thing about this film is it doesn't demand a lot of you. No. Like it's not forcing the audience to kind of engage with it on a rhetorical level. 
in any sort of like heavy poss- way. Yeah, with possibly the exception of 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 Sniffy or whatever. Sniffy played Snuffy, by Spike Lee. Played by Spike see, Lee and, well, and right hand man who is a dude who doesn't literally have his right, right hand. hand. And but see, the, the reason I think that it, it doesn't play that that angle very hard. In fact, it, it kind of treats it as like side relief. Is though you know, like the the drug the the effect of drugs on a neighborhood and the detrimental effect. And of by drugs, drugs we mean glue in a bag. Yeah, are, are much harsher played in films like Malcolm X and uh, particularly Jungle Fever, which has like this whole side narrative about crack cocaine with Samuel L. Jackson's character. That's Cheers, really light. Yeah, really hard hitting. And I think you know even the jazz musician story uh, has like a you know, like you could find that story in Mo Beta Blues with Wesley Snipes' character, but it's it's kind of treated as like a like a very slight thing. And I think I think there's something even though I didn't connect with this film as much as say I connected with a film like George Washington, um I I kind of despite me not enjoying it, I kind of enjoyed what it was. If that make, you know if that makes sense. I enjoyed that there was this slight light um, slice of mo- this this moment in time, and I and I liked that the film just kind of existed as that, and it wasn't forcing me too hard to go in any other direction. And I I, I you know like and I I think if I was oh my god it, is this your Marvel movie is this my Marvel movie yeah, yeah is this is my idea of fun no no, uh, no no I'm not talking about fun I'm just talking about like something that you could enjoy well you just, I don't know did you enjoy you- yeah I did enjoy it. that that's the thing I okay. didn't I didn't like love the movie but i kind of enjoyed watching it because it was it was just so pleasant it was just such a pleasant movie to right. watch you know like it was a it was a pleasant place to be uh and and i and i think given the stories that you could tell about 1974 brooklyn bedstuy uh african american family mm-hmm. living in dire poverty this movie is so pleasant and enjoyable that that there's something pleasurable about seeing you know, that kind of world portrayed in a way that I, that I wouldn't expect from a filmmaker like Spike Lee, who's done those stories before. Right. I think what got, what, what I, why I sort of enjoyed it was the, the movie yet? The wrong movie. No, I know <laughs> that was the sort of the reasons that you said, because we are fed a lot of this, like sort of like dangerous inner city, New York stuff during that time period. Yeah. Uh, hell, I mean, again, Escape from New York is it's that it's it's selling that sort of angle of New York. Yeah. Uh, here is just like, yeah, well, around all that, there's still a good community and like families that have go through the same problems that families have gone through since we had modern families. Yeah. Like, and it was just sort of nice to see that in a time period. Yeah. Uh, I, and I definitely enjoyed that. Um, again, I just, I don't, um, I, I, it does get silly, particularly when they go down South, like the film does kind of get a little, well, yeah, with like dogs getting stuck in couches and like, you know, character of Southern, Southern mothers and that sort of thing. There's also a lot of threads in this movie that they, that, that Spike Lee does a, a a very good job setting up and then never pulls on. And that, and you know, which that's life. Yeah. And that's the thing that uh, the best way I would describe it is, is that, is that I'm not mad at the film for not pulling off every thread. It kind of, because I feel like the film just kind of drops in on this family and then 
takes takes off. You know what I mean? I'm it's like visiting a family. Right. You know? I'm only mad because cinema has conditioned me to expect certain things. Right. And, and that's and mad. that's and that's not <laughs> and I guess I'm always because you're always mad. That's your um, secret. Yeah. The it's just interesting because like, yeah, movies have set up a thing where you normally, you know, if there should be a payoff to a thing you've set up and if there's not, then you fucked up. Yeah. This is not a case of that. This is again, I, I, if I'm looking for a through line to this entire, the reason why this feels so lilting and just sort of like uh, floaty for lack of a better term is it's, I think, and I hope I'm right on this because it's a, I think it makes the style much more palatable for me. Uh, palpable. I don't know either one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that it feels like childhood memories. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't like, you know, even though it focuses on Troy, the, the only daughter in the family, but um, it's, it's very, you know, moments in her life or her family's life. The, that like the, the big moments are big and the small moments are memorable. And for some reason, they she remembers um, uh, a weird knockout drag out fight between her parents for one thing. And then another thing she, she remembers, uh, you know, um, fighting with their brothers about the tea, you know, watching yeah. watching um, uh, Soul Train, Soul Train yeah. or whatever, like these moments where they're just all dancing and yeah. like it. It's just a sort of interesting way of like, because even when I look back at like my childhood, like my memories are are there, but they're not like clean. Right. And they're not um, something that I could easily just be like, and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. I'd be like, well, I remember feeling this. Yeah. And I remember sort of, oh, my dad did yell this one thing and I felt so this like that's very it feels like you're going through memories of a family. Right. Right. And I, you know, I. I, but, but there is something enjoyable about it. Now, again, oh, I'm, I'm saying pretty, that that's why I'm, I'm saying if that's the framework yeah. and if I'm correct in it, I like it more than if it's just sort of haphazard, which I don't I, think it is. I, I still didn't like, uh, the film for me, uh, you know, and to be fair, you know, Eric Roma films, you know, his spring, summer, winter ones, uh, I, I, you know, I've watched once I kind of found them enjoyable and I never watched again. You know, I never really put, gave them much thought. And it's the same with, with Crooklyn. It wouldn't rank highly because it doesn't hit me very hard, which is something that I equate Spike Lee to doing. But at the same time, I was like, no, he doesn't need to do that every time. And I kind of like the gentleness of this film, the gentle spirit of it. And the, you know, like a, a Japanese filmmaker that I love, uh, Hirokozu Kurida is all about that. His films are just these gentle family tales and I find them incredibly beautiful and powerful. Mm -hmm. I think the thing is, is that, um, there, you could argue, you could argue that there's a certain clumsiness to which the scenes are kind of stitched together as we jump from scene to scene to scene that doesn't feel as fluid, uh, as, as it could be. Um, but, but, but that's not to say, you know, like, again, as you say, you know, fragmented memories and, you know, the way it plays out, it just, it plays out a little, uh, a little more haphazard than I would have particularly liked. And then to, to sort of catapult off that, um, I think something that is, is the, uh, beyond that, cause I can get over that, whether it's the narrative reason I've cooked up and that's real, or even if it's not, I can get by it because so many of the small scenes really work for me. It's the, the use of music in this film yeah. felt, um, it, it felt tacked on top it of the film. It felt movie. tacked on. It felt very collegey. 
Yeah. It, it felt it's like weird. It, it's, yeah. It's weird though, because I like all the songs. Yeah. I, the songs it, are great. And, 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 and I like hearing them, you and know, they fit in a very, in a, I was sort of, cause I, this is what I do. I, I was listening in like, Oh, like guardians of the galaxy. There was one <laughs> crossover song. And then I was like, and then I was like, Oh, uh, and that was Ooh child, by the way. Yeah. yeah um, the, I was like, well, I remember you having a problem with the cat Stevens song, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I never did. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, the, all the songs that have play in this movie, like when, when important scenes are happening, like are very on the nose. I don't have a problem with the on the nose. I want to make that very clear. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the way the song is used and intercut and mixed the sound mix of this film. And I know it's 94. Like yeah. I'm not trying to, to shit on it in that regard, but you combined poor like uh basically music design i guess Mm -hmm. and a really poor mix yeah um and it it that's what made that's what whenever i was feeling like i was getting into like just a groove of being in the space something like a song would play too long over dialogue or adr would be like 12 times louder than it should be or or just something stupid i remember even the they have um braids and sort of shells in their hair at one point and the and the sound mix on the shells when they turned their head was like a wind chime slamming into your face. I, I, and I was like, I was like, w- there's these beautiful things yeah. that, that it's it, the movie is actively trying to get me to not pay attention. to. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird. Like I would describe it as it feels like the, the note uh, to sound was to imagine the film as though there was a radio in the background of every scene and was always on. And, and, yes. and, and the problem is, is that that kind of wears thin a little bit. I enjoyed listening to the songs, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, just hearing songs that I like. I would I, listen to the Spotify playlist, but yeah. I wouldn't listen to it while I was watching a movie. Yeah. And I just kind of felt like, yeah, it was a little overplayed and it, it kind of felt like a little bit shapeless in terms of the way that the music was being used, but it felt very suicide squatty. Uh, I wouldn't go that far because I don't think they ever like make a moment out of every song. It kind of like scenes play and the song is playing in the background. I was just saying it felt like I really like the song throw the movie. Oh, this makes sense here because they're on the stairs. Like that's, yeah. it's, you know, like when, when, uh, and spoilers for the film, when Alfred Woodard's character dies, we, and, 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 uh, Troy has to kind of grow up. We hear Ooh, Ooh child. And it's kind of like, you know, it, yeah, it is a little on the nose. Uh, but, but again, there's this kind of gentleness to this whole film. There's there's a gentle naivete to this whole thing. The one thing I was there's a there's a meta commentary that I was kind of thinking about, uh, even in in relation to something I said just on this podcast, which was that you know thinking about the period of time that this was in, uh, an African American family in Brooklyn struggling for money, struggling to keep the lights on, and and expecting that to be a tragedy, I think speaks volumes about my relationship to what I think Spike Lee is about. And what I enjoy about this film is this film defies my prejudice against what I think Spike Lee's films are about. You know, like, and I think uh, in relation to our conversation about Detroit, for example, uh, a film where I, I was, I had a little bit of a problem with the way in which it, uh, uh, Detroit treated the riot as, as sort of uh, without, Without a proper context. I remember. And um, and I think, you know, what this film offers you and and is and is kind of quite lovely in doing is it is it presents you a world 
that you're not used to seeing on screen. And mm-hmm. that in itself is a revolutionary act. Yeah. Even though the film is kind of gentle and guiding and not asking too much of its audience. And it's just kind of like this cool, breezy trip down memory lane. And a little bit all over the place. And yeah. a little bit all over the place. It's kind of pleasant to watch a film that defies, I don't know if it's everyone's expectations, but my personal yeah. you know, prejudices. Well, it's what you've seen too. Like, I mean, I'll forgive something that's new and, and, and even though it, it shouldn't be new and innovative, it is in the space that it's being presented. Yeah. Um, and I will forgive, you know, a lot of flaws I don't think for there's something anything to forgive. I just, well, no, no, I'm saying, I'm saying for it, it I'm, I'm using the term forgive as yeah. in like, I, I will look past sort of, uh, things that would normally get me to hang up and not enjoy a film as much as I could. Right. Um, because it's, it's, it's showing me something I've never seen before. Granted in a way that I think could have been better, but it doesn't particularly matter. Um, I feel like I'm kind of shitting on it. I don't want to shit on it. I, I think again, some of the other small moments that yeah. I really enjoyed, um, when the family does drive down South and they're in the road trip in the car, there's some sweet moments with the entire family in the car. There's a really I sweet, think every time the kids are together, it's I kind of really, love it's it. Really whenever Troy is talking to one of the two parents is yeah. really what gets me. Right. Um, they, they she crawls in the front of the, the truck, the car as they're driving, cause they're all falling asleep and it's just a really sweet moment. And then the thing, the thing that got me, the thing that really made my, my ears perk up and I was like, Oh shit. Like this is some fucking, like this is the movie I want is when, um, Troy is left with her aunt in the suburbs yeah, and she gets a letter from her mom and the way that the letter is sort of told because it's, it's, um, first, you know, he, she, we cut to Alfred Woodard talking directly to camera to camera about it. And then like sort of almost narrating, but directly to camera once in a while, mm-hmm. things that are happening with the family. And then you see the things and like, I was like, this is masterful. Oh, this, this is, this is, is quintessential spike. Lee, oh, you know? it's so fucking good. And I was like this, and I, I'm glad they didn't overdo do it they did it uh sort of two and a maybe an eighth times but you know this is this is that period of spike lee where not only was he uh creating provocative cinema uh he was uh you know uh, a master of the medium and he's so powerful he still is the the interesting thing is like that to me the way they portrayed troy reading this letter from her mother it looks exactly how reading a letter from a family member feels right. Like, and I don't know how else to sort of put it. Like that's literal emotion transcribed into a visual medium. That's as clear as it will ever get for that one particular feeling. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's funny because those are moments where I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Like that's, that's that, that when your head cracks open, you're like, how can a human sort of pull this off? Um, and there's moments like that in the film that I think are gorgeous. But then when put next to the rest of the film and it's sort of like, sort of cadence, uh, it, it, they're they're off putting, but in an enjoyable way. Like it, it's it calls out the other minor flaws more when those moments happen because I'm like, this is magic. We know bring the magic back. Like yeah. you just you just moved me hardcore for like eight and a half minutes, and I want that again. Like let's keep doing things like that. There's even little moments when uh, when uh, Delroy Lindo's uh, you know performs and he and he performs this concert, and and not a lot of people turn up. And his son comes back and he, you know, he, he walks into the room and he says the new, the next won the NBA championship and walks off. And we realize, you know, like he's, the son is pissed off because he was forced to miss the game. And this moment lands on Delroy Lindo. Like, Oh, I've, I've, 
I've forced my kids into something that I didn't, that they didn't enjoy. Right. Um, and maybe this is the moment that he kind of like grows up, but it, it's like, it's a tiny moment, but it really kind of lands. And it's, it's, it's amazing that this film is kind of filled with little moments like that. There, there, there is a little bit of a tendency for Spike Lee to, I think, reuse some of his tricks and sometimes his tricks um, feel like they're out of context within the, within the, the film he's in, you know, particularly like, you know, the, the classic Spike Lee thing is to put the actors on the dolly track so that it looks like they're floating. Uh, he does that a couple of times in this film, uh, once upside down, yeah, once upside down when they're uh, sniffing glue. Um, and, and it kind of, there's a scene, there's a whole thread in this film where Snuffy feels like he's tormenting Troy and she has these kinds of visions of him tormenting her. But it's her. not clear. It's not clear and it doesn't really, the, the like, final scene of it where he she finally overcomes it doesn't really land as much as it just kind of happens. It's, it's, I, it, this is what I honestly feel like this is. This is a memory of two dudes in his neighborhood that he had. And he's like, oh, I got to put these guys in the yeah. movie because this is, they were part of the neighborhood and they were, all the kids were scared of him. And I, now maybe he had nightmares about it, you know, like yeah. the, it, you can see the writing on the wall. They just have no space in this story. Yeah. Like it's just very like silly and, and kind of, okay, cool. Yeah. And I think, I think. You know, it like like I like I think we're we're both saying as well. This film doesn't. It's not. It's not like for me. If I'm telling someone to watch Spike Lee movies, this is not the one I point to. Uh, this is sort of an interesting counterpoint. It's a little bit you know looser, and it's not sure. one that I would necessarily recommend. Um, but but this you know I. Uh, I, and I do feel this about Spike Lee in general, even though I couldn't quite make it through Chirac. <laughs> uh, Chirac is really, really tough to watch. Mm. Um, uh, even though I couldn't make it through, I think Spike Lee for me is worth, he's always worth my time. Like he's uh, even, even at He'll his. He'll always show you something that you weren't expecting that you will blow your mind. And it's, and, 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 and that's actually kind of true of, of a lot of the films that I've seen. Like, uh, granted there's specific ones, Malcolm X in particular for yeah. me that like I, the really from start to finish is just, yeah, it's great. But a lot of times it's like, this is fine. Oh, this might be off. Holy shit. Did you just, Oh my God, that's amazing. What he just did. I want more of that. Wait, where'd it go? Yeah. Like there's, there's always two or three moments in the films that I'm always just like, it blows my mind. Yeah. He's never not without ideas. Yeah. You know, like he's always firing. It's funny. The only time I've ever seen him without a clear sense of what to do with a film one is old boy. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it that old boy really doesn't work, but, but I think that's a matter of like premise from the get go is like, why remake this? Yeah, film? That's what I'm saying. And yeah. that he was, that was dead at arrival before he was. Signed. Yeah. I feel, yeah. I feel like that. But there, there was this little, uh, series back in the, back in the early nine, mid 1995, uh, uh, the Lumiere, uh, uh, Kodak, I believe found a bunch of, uh, or rebuilt, uh, a few of Lumiere's original cameras. Okay. You know, the, the original hand crank, you had to actually like roll it to actually make film. And they sent it out to a hundred filmmakers around the world. And Spike Lee was one of them. Um, and 
And David Lynch, David Lynch was another one. And David Lynch made this amazing film. It's like, I've, you, you, you're not even sure how he made it kind of thing. You know, he's like David Lynch, he's David Lynch. And Spike Lee was the only filmmaker out of all the filmmakers who kind of just phoned it in. He just turned the camera on and pointed at his son for like 10 seconds and then turned it off. And it was like, that's the only time I've ever seen Spike Lee kind of phone it in. Sure. Um, you know, he, I mean, even, you know, like uh, a film that I loved this year um, that ironically came out last year, and it might be my favorite film of the year still, it's the O.J. Simpson documentary that we've been talking about, owes an enormous debt to what Spike Lee did with Four Little Girls and with uh, When the Livies Broke, which are masterful exposés about the way in which the New Orleans disaster happened. And, you know, I think... You know, as I say, even though this is a gentle, loving film that that doesn't really land for me, it is still worth your time. Even though I wouldn't highly recommend it, it's it's such a strange thing. I th- I feel like this entire episode for us has been this gentle meandering around this film. Well, it's it's I, we learned it from watching it, not it the film. Do you know what I mean? We yeah, learned it yeah. from watching Crooklyn. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's meandering, and 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 I never wanna, I never wanna shit on a film for trying something new. Um, even if that doesn't work now, something that happened in this film that I feel like didn't work, but again, I like the concept and I've seen other people pull it off better since now. And maybe he sort of started the pioneer of this sort of, you know, I don't know is when they all get down to the suburbs. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the aspect ratio, ratio. it's not the aspect ratio. It's, it's the, the, the squeeze effect that normally would make a, uh, anamorphic print look wide print. The anamorphic goes away and it's, uh, it's all squishy. Yeah. It's unsqueezed film. Yeah. And the reason why that is from what Spike Lee was saying was he wanted the world of that, that Troy was now inhabiting to feel alien. Now I didn't catch that right away. I thought my (laughs) settings on my PlayStation were broken. I, and so I I stopped it. I tried to figure out why the fuck it happened. Um, and it's not quite as subtle as when like aspect ratios change for things, you know, like that, that in, in films these days, it feels like a mistake. Yeah. It did and, have, it, it had an unusual effect for me. I don't think it quite worked. And but. I feel like, I feel like it's one of those things that probably in 94 in a theater, people didn't even notice and they knew it felt weird, but they weren't quite sure. Yeah. But now in the day and age of like, Oh, a million things can go wrong in your home entertainment system. And like, maybe it could have been hit a fucking weird pan and scan thing. Yeah. And like all this. Stuff. So I instantly went into troubleshooting mode when it <laughs> happened and there was no fixing it. Cause it was burnt in. I went on the internet and I was like, Oh yeah. 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 It, uh, the effect that it had for me was that it made you you know what it made me feel like was that the world in the south was bigger you know like you live in the in in the in New York in Brooklyn in in a brownstone there's this like compression of space where people are just on top of you even though they had three floors in that brownstone I know this is a, that brownstone would probably go for like 1.5 million way more minimum. than that way more yeah at a minimum now even yeah. if it was in a bad neighborhood Four uh, mil, four uh, mil, easy. Um, but it it felt like the sky opened up a little bit. Although I I do find that the the sort of the the fact that they're all everyone is squeezed was a little bit off putting, and I was just like, I just want to squeeze it back into the correct <laughs> yeah, ratio. Me too. But but you know, like here's one thing: is imagine 
the the you know we think about it being slightly like uh, audacious as a technique. Imagine the fact that it, you know like the this film's main home release method would have been VHS, right? Where it either would have been put into pan and scan, or that would have seemed like a like you know like it would be very rare to get a sixteen by nine yeah. VHS tape back then. So that oh. whole thing would have just been you know like super confusing both for distributors and for the audience. Um, it's it, it's trying something. I don't think it worked, but I like that he tried it after the fact and after learning about why he did it, etc. Yeah, I I it's one of those things where Spike Lee sometimes uses techniques that I I think are interesting techniques, but not being used in the right context here. Um, so I, I didn't, you know, I didn't love that thing in particular. I didn't love the Dolly on tracks thing, which is normally I love, uh, you know, when Spike, whenever Spike Lee does that, I think it's brilliant. Um, but this was a case where I didn't think it was lovely, you know, uh, particularly well sure. used. Um, and, you know, we've talked about the soundtrack as well. So, so there's plenty of negatives here. There's plenty of positives too. to, in terms of like, so if we're going to wrap it up and go back to our, to the initial point about, New York on film. This is a New York on film that doesn't get talked about a lot, which is that it's a loving New York on film. It's a, it's a beautiful family. And, and despite like all the sort of initial, you know, like uh, Alfred Woodard running down the stairs, smacking her kids to tell them to clean up the kitchen and that sort of thing. This is a loving family yeah. unit that's still held together. Even if they're being held together by like strings at this point. And well, I don't think they're even being held together by strings. I think they're being held together by something much, financial. Strings. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the, the love that there is very prevalent and it's, it's, it's a very strong sort of presence throughout the film. I think uh, what I like about it is it is it kind of start, it showed us a thing that like outsiders would be like, oh, this is so rare. But but I believe and again, I wasn't there until I get my time machine working. I'll never know. Yeah, uh, that this was the norm. Yeah, like this, th- this is presents New York in this sort of like, yep, families live here. <laughs> like it's not a fucking hellhole. Like it just, uh, it, it felt like people living their lives and it alluded to a whole community of people living their lives. Right. Even the, the problem neighbor, Tony with the Coke bottle. Did glasses. you notice that he was the singer in the, in the, when, when they cut to, when they were in down South and they were watching a, a sort of gospel video with kids uh, you know, and they were saying, Oh, was he? He, hey, was the, he was the guy. He was the singer. That's interesting. And I was like waiting for that sort of some reveal. Pay, well, some payoff, like, Oh, he was like a singer down South and he'd kind of like fallen off his ways, but it was the same actor. And even like things like that, like, so there's a confrontation finally. Cause like the, the dude plays weird music yeah. at, all, at all hours of the night as he is composing and he has like 30 dogs. And so the kids throw garbage in, <laughs> in his yard. So much child lying in yeah. this movie. Uh, they all, everyone was lying like little kids are apt to do uh and and there was a sort of an altercation and then woody comes outside and uh when at one point one of their tenants who i didn't even realize was a tenant until the electricity got cut off it was very sort of strange i didn't quite understand that again it was a very lilting storyline vic yeah uh went out and when the guy was yelling at the kids he punched tony in the face (laughs) this time woody came out and like was like look man like this just has to stop he's like and and if it'll help like i'll come help clean up your shit like it's fine and those sort of moments felt very um uh 
uh, again, what I think and what I'd like to believe New York was actually like back then, as opposed to this place where you're just going to get stabbed. Like even mm-hmm. I think Roger Ebert actually in his review mm-hmm. was talking about how like it's funny, even altercations like that today, like you'd be afraid to do that to your neighbor because they might stab you. Mm. They might shoot you like you don't know what's going on yeah. anymore. And and this was a community where even if you didn't like each other and even if you kind of screwed each other over from time to time, like you're not murdering people. I, you know, and I got to admit, like, so I've lived in New York for the last seven years. I'm a, I'm, I am a, an implant on New York, definitely. Um, but, but I, the thing I love about New York is that there is a gruffness to New York. There is like, ah, oh, fuck, this guy's ordering his deli, you know, his bagel really slow. It's really pissing me off. But I got places to be. I got places to be. I got shit to do. But people are still like the, the, the misconception about New York is people aren't friendly here. People are really friendly in New York. I've never, most New Yorkers that I've encountered are really cool friendly people they talk gruff and they got shit to do and, and they they'll give you resting subway face if you yeah. try to talk to them first but if you ask them a question like you need to find somewhere to go nine times out of ten you know five people are going to help you and and people are going to like step up for new yeah. yorkers which i which is ironically the thing that i think spider-man really gets right which is new yorkers are are a tribe you know even though they're made up of of multiple villages it is a it is a unique tribe that sticks together sure. and it's lovely to watch and it's lovely to to kind of see that on screen when it counts when it counts right of course you still might get stabbed yeah. if you if you if you're standing in front of me and you order your bagel uh whole wheat everything and then you you dilly dally about which particular cream cheese you're gonna get you might get stabbed if you order your bagel <laughs> like spike lee told this story uh it, they're not a, don't do it uh but if you if you want to eat your bagel at home, <laughs> like Spike Lee told this story, as slow or as fast as you want, depending on the help. Maybe you want to even just lick all the cream cheese off first. You can do you can that. Eat it like an Oreo cookie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because it's, it's your big day. I don't know. Let's go sort of final thoughts. I, and I'll, I'll just go first. Uh, I, I just think, um, I think the small vignette sort of action of it really does work. It just, it just, it just does feel too lilting from time to time, though. I will say it does solidify more in its third act. Yeah. It, um, it, it comes into, it comes into, into focus because of the death of one character. Right. Um, the, I, again, the moments of genius, the letters in particular were just absolutely spectacular. Um, uh, but the, again, the music choices and the usage and the sound design really kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, you know, again, I sort of said like, you know, obviously this movie isn't made for me, uh, but for two reasons, one, I am a white, uh, I grew up a white kid. I don't think that's a reason it's not made. For you. No, no, I'll, I'll get to it. The, okay. the, the, I'm saying like I, a kid who grew up in the suburbs, uh, and not in the city. So okay. like, I just didn't uh get I, you know whatever it's again it's not it's not reflecting my you know, which is it doesn't have to be you know what i, I mean yeah i mean I, like, but, you don't be well, watching a very well, few films I, well i'm getting i'm <laughs> sort of getting to the point so okay. like one it doesn't reflect sort of my childhood even though it's getting you in the, the vein of a child of a, a certain type of childhood and two i grew up as an only child where this is a huge family right and uh so like it's funny because instantly i don't have that like i can relate to this mm. Uh, uh, impact that a film might have, but I love that it shows me something that I didn't, I, that I hadn't experienced before. Even if those experiences 
are uh, a little all over the place. And the only place that I can actually nail down a sense of familiarity is how the memories are remembered and portrayed. Uh, and I think that's cool as shit. Yeah. So like <laughs> it's, it's, it's a roundabout way of saying for me, if you haven't seen at this point, it'd be odd. But if you haven't seen Crooklyn, you should see Crooklyn. I enjoy that it it was the winner of the of the group sort of the group think film uh, fest. Yeah, the one New York one film, New York one film fest. Um, and uh, I think it's a quintessential sort of slice of life of New York during a time and of how families. Uh, work and function in almost like a realistic day-to-day sort of life. And uh, again, growing up as an only child, that's stuff that I never saw. And it was very interesting. Yeah. No, I, I look again, it's not my favorite Spike Lee movie. It's not uh, a part of the Spike, you know, and I'm passionate about Spike Lee, but the it's Spike not, Lee cinematic universe, the Spike Lee cinematic universe. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, it, this is what I love about it is this gentleness with which it presents a story that that isn't filled with the angst of of other films yeah. that I like of like his that it's I actually angst free. It's completely angst free. It's just you get. I mean, some characters do have a little bit of of. Yeah. I wouldn't call it angst. I'd call it um nerves or something. Yeah. But yeah, I get but but saying. the film isn't like really trying right. to like press that button, you know. And so I I just enjoyed I enjoyed watching it. I just I just had a good time kind of like being in this world. Yeah. I think you know like David Gordon Green's George Washington is a film that i enjoy a little more but but you know apples and oranges so to speak um and 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 i i think we should explore this this new york on film thing a little further at some point because there are now we live we we're in a unique position in that we can just open our window and see the cin- the new york cinematic universe and and we have a unique opportunity to do so and i and i i hope those who participated in the new york one film uh event uh, a get something out of this particular podcast if you did please write us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at onlymoviepod um and i you know if you if you did enjoy that uh you you start to search because there are there are also rarities within the new york cinematic universe that that we don't touch they're not the manhattans or the you know the film the woody allen movie Manhattan. or the teenage mutant ninja turtles or the teenage mutant ninja turtles exactly with the raging bulls there are there are tiny films about New York that, that we don't talk about. And, and I, I get a unique pleasure out of watching, you know, since moving here, uh, watching New York on film now that, you know, like, and the thing that I always love is when someone like is, is in a chase scene and they run from like 86th street and they're suddenly on 14th. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it, like, yeah, yeah. just drives me nuts. But that's, that's none of that is what this film yeah. is. This film is a gentle ode to uh, a New York that I didn't live in, but I was scared of. And what this film taught me, was that I didn't have to be scared right. of that. And that's one that's one that's a beautiful thing to make the centerpiece of the New York One film event. Yeah. So I I dug it, even though I didn't like it that much. It's, it's so really, funny. It's such a weird th- weird way to say. All right. Well, this has been the only podcast about the film Crooklyn. Uh, Shahir, better known as Brooklyn. Yeah, well, uh, Shahir, when you're not uh, abating your fears as a child with through Spike Lee joints, where can folks find you? I'll be I'll be at the cinema watching it uh, at www.shahirdaud.com. That's S H A H I R D A U D. That's not true. I'm not afraid of it clown monster matt (laughs) when you are not seeing your only childhood on film where can people find the solo matt 
Uh, you can find me at Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, um, we have a bunch of, we'll do them next week because uh, we're wrapping up now. We have a couple emails coming in. Thank you guys so much for writing in. Also, please uh, write us some iTunes reviews. We have one or two new ones on there. We appreciate it. We'll read those out when we get them. Um, yeah, uh, next week, you know, we're in the we're in the drolls a little bit for these next two well, weeks. I think I think there's a, a braid runner coming up soon. Yeah, that I know. Be, yep. That is that be. is that next week? I I don't think it is. I actually it might we, we'll have because, to look because it up. of our release schedule it might not be but either way stay tuned people it might be a surprise but it's gonna be exciting yeah the, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're gonna slowly get into uh, I guess holiday movie season yeah between Halloween and then Thanksgiving has an interesting well th- the Thor obviously and then Christmas I mean Star Thor Wars. obviously yeah. we're definitely doing Thor uh yeah really. Oh, you don't think so? Between my love for Marvel and Taika Waititi's fucking your hometown hero? Like, let's do it. Listen, fool me once, and I'm a fool. <laughs> fool me twice. Well, I don't and, even know what you're talking about. And I, and I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Well, I have I'm no doing idea. the George Bush version of... Uh, oh, won't get fooled for, again. Yeah, won't get... You, you, can't, you can't fool me twice. No, okay, but I don't <laughs> know who's fooling you. Is Taika fooling you? Is Thor fooling you? It's Taika, by the way. Oh, I always thought was Taiko. I think Taiko is like a is like a, a ripoff uh, toy car maker. Well, there's Tonka trucks and Taiko trucks. Yeah, oh, yeah, was that it? Yeah, yeah Taiko. Uh, well, I'm sorry about that. Like uh, Taika, like, like Mega Blocks. Uh, yeah, exactly like Mega Blocks. This is uh, gonna be exciting. Yeah, well, listen. Well, that that's Thor's not next week, but it's gonna come anyway. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, by by Odin's beard. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.